Welcome to On Strategy Showcase. I'm Fergus O'Carroll in Chicago. You can connect with me on LinkedIn and you can see the uh, creative work associated with all of our episodes and connect with our guests on our website at onstrategyshowcase.com. And uh, don't forget to follow or subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts so you'll get all the latest episodes. And if you have any questions about this or any other episode we've done, you can send them to me at hello at onstrategyshowcase.com. That's hello at onstrategyshowcase.com. I think I'm going to start selecting a few questions and attempt to answer them in future shows. So this is kind of a new thing that I'm going to try and see how it works out. If it sucks, we won't do it again. But hey, we learn as we go. Today, we're going to hear about the convenience store chain 7-Eleven and its recent campaign here in the U.S., coming out of lockdown uh, with a dramatic reduction in store visits and unsure if the world would return to normal or some sort of new normal. The brand wanted to uh, sort of freshen and update its image while primarily expanding its share of younger people whose idea of convenience was now drastically different than it had been in the past. Think delivery. I unfortunately participated in using the word love during this episode when describing how people feel about brands. I got wrapped up in the moment. So forgive me. I don't actually believe in brand love. I, I don't believe real people ever love brands. At most, they might love what brands say about them, but they don't love them. So forgive me for that. That said, this is the story behind Take It to Eleven. And if you've been around for a while, you'll remember that 7-Eleven parking lots were once the place where kids hung out and you saw the most interesting people and the most interesting things. So this is Amy Dowker. VP Integrated Strategy at Dentsu Creative in Chicago, and Ashley Evangelista, Associate Director, Integrated Strategy, also at Dentsu Creative. Enjoy. For those who are not familiar with uh, with 7-Eleven, Amy, can you explain what it is and, and what's its sort of ownership structure? I've never, I've no, I don't have a really good sense of it. Uh, how is it? Is it corporate owned? Is it franchised? Um, yes, it is a mix of corporate and franchise-owned stores. Convenience retailing and 7-Eleven were both born in Dallas, Texas. Um, you can think about it as sort of we invented the category. Uh, when an employee of Southland Ice Company, which is now 7-Eleven, began selling things like bread, milk, eggs from an ice dock after the local grocery stores were closed. So amazing DNA for the brand. Um, as as sort of the first to be open later and selling selling those things that the people needed. And is does seven eleven refer to seven a.m. to eleven p.m. is is it is it a reference to time or what was it originally? Originally, it was a reference to time, and over time, you know, twenty four seven became became what was most essential um, for a convenience store like seven eleven to be open during those hours. Um, but the name. The name definitely stuck and and has a lot of significance in culture. In terms of the competitive side, it always used to seem to me like it was the the local Circle K of the bodega. But in more recent years, with the world of Starbucks and drive through, um, it seems like there was just a massive new level of competitive intensity. Is that the way it sort of looked like uh, to the to the brand in real life? Yeah, that's absolutely true. So you can still think of Circle K as a competitor. And even more regionally, you can think of like Wawa's and Royal Farms. Um, but yes, because 7-Eleven has major product priorities like coffee and hot food items, then you have the QSR brands and the coffee brands that can also be seen as a competitive set. When you think about 
who goes to 7-Eleven for food versus who goes to a QSR, which is a quick service restaurant like McDonald's or even does a drive through through uh, Starbucks. Do you guys have a sense of how those either those um, those needs are different or the folks who stop and go through those are different? Is the need occasion different or how do you think about that? Are they different targets? Yeah. And I think even thinking apart from segments of audiences, it is it is that impulsive. I mean, there is that immediate gratification that's inherent in the convenience store stop and in that pit stop. Yeah. I think the the shift that's happened in culture is that you can get that, you know, delivered to you immediately if you're thinking about delivery or you can go through a drive-through. There are so many other places where you're getting that need met. It's less about, you know, all of the different types of people and there's a QSR person and there's a convenience store person. I think we know that you know, on an average day, Americans are stopping at a convenience store, but they're also doing all of those other things, which has sort of eroded um, the number of trips to convenience stores. And that's that's been very much part of part of the business problem um, is, you know, anchored in how modern convenience has evolved. When you look at the brand's reputation pre-COVID, how would you describe its strengths and its weaknesses? say pre-COVID, its strengths have always been in the name, um, in the nostalgia and the that the brand holds, the fact that we in, sort of invented that convenience category on the whole. People have, you know, I think you said it on the on the top of the call, everybody has a memory of 7-Eleven or going to a 7-Eleven because, you know, there are now more than 13,000 stores um, for 7-Eleven Incorporated. Weaknesses there, I think, for those more light and lapsed people who aren't going as much or aren't partial to one store or another, convenience store kind of is getting a really bad rap. We we refer to our enemy as like C-store expectations that people have, which by the way, are really low, right? There is this stigma around convenience stores. As we began to sort of come out of COVID is when this campaign launched. So what were the what were the client asks when they sat down with you guys to say, okay, we need to do something here as we come out and begin to emerge? They definitely came to us with a brand perception problem. And the goal was brand reappraisal to really modernize the brand, refresh it in the minds, especially um, within a younger audience. In terms of whether we would return to a new normal, whether foot traffic would increase at the time, it was a big unknown. Um, there was definitely a feeling from the pandemic that certain trends would be hanging around for a while, lots of hybrid working opportunities, remote work. Um, so we wanted to make sure we were prepared to face a new reality. And, you know, given the new normal of people rapidly adopting things like delivery, we knew that in order to future-proof the business, we had to consider permanent behavioral changes. So the landscape was rapidly changing and none of us had a crystal ball, but we knew the number one priority was to introduce this brand in a very modern way. The brand had been doing a lot of work on the back end with you know seamless um, transactions and upgrading their product uh, catalog. So we wanted to make sure people knew that and that 7-Eleven wasn't just the same brand of you know, nostalgia, but it was something that they could actually enjoy and engage with and feel a human connection to. 
What were some of the planning activities, Amy, that you guys undertook to help you better understand the audience, the opportunity, or the category? There was some key positioning research that was done. Um, and even prior to us taking over creative, um, we had a new, brave, amazing CMO come in, Marissa Jarrett, who really um, stewarded a lot of that work that then we were brought along into. Um, but it helped us understand the need for brand reappraisal. Uh, additionally, we worked on some product proposition research um, that, that Ashley really championed. And it was about not, you know, we're a retail brand and we knew we had to sell things like, like big gulps, like coffees, um, et cetera. But the work really wasn't about the RTBs, but how could we make more of a, an emotional connection to our products? Asking ourselves the question of like, if you were to think about your products as um, as distinct brand assets, you know, what could they be? What role could they play? Um, which which fed a lot of the strategy. And then um, a really, really big thing was we had also taken over all of social. And you can't underestimate the role that social has as that real-time focus group for the brand. Um, it gave us better insight into what that young Gen Z audience wanted from the brand, but also how they were already reflecting that brand energy to us in a way that we as a brand weren't harnessing. Like if you were to look at the advertising 7-Eleven was doing, it in no way reflected that energy. I think a big aha from all of this work that we did was how do you unlock, how do you not just tackle brand reappraisal, but how do you unlock your brand's energy? And you really do that by reflecting the energy that both your brand lovers, people who already know and shop you, and the younger generation who is sort of reflecting that energy back to you, but you're not talking to as much, how do you harness that and make that, how do you port that back into your brand DNA? We just thought it was fascinating how we would see um, young people making TikToks in the aisles, just dancing to songs or showing up in wild costumes to the store. We had so many um, photos on Instagram of people taking pictures of their really tricked out cars in the parking lot. So there was a lot of behavior happening inside and outside of the store that, as Amy mentioned, we just hadn't been capitalizing on. The brand was very promotional focused. Um, and of course, we wanted to bring in more of that consumer element. So that was one of the things we definitely learned. When I look at the work, there's definitely a youthful spirit to it, no doubt. Why was that, Amy? The younger generation is where the, the growth will happen for the brand. So that was definitely always a focus. However, knowing that um, everyone shops at convenience stores, you know, we we did still have to keep our broad audience in mind, but we definitely needed to plug into that youthful energy for the brand in order to, to show it in that new light. Um, and the really cool thing about doing that is that everyone comes along for the ride. You know, I think we were a little bit nervous when we did our initial campaign research and testing, like, was would this fly? And it absolutely did. Um, I think 95% of people loved the energy of the ads. It made them think differently about 7-Eleven, no matter who they were, how old they were. Um, and I think, you know, the creative ended up doing a great job of showing 
all ages, even though it was very young energy. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Actually, why, why do you think it it had sort of universal appeal, the creative? We always kind of say like, okay, 7-Eleven is a brand where all Americans go to. Uh, but what does all America look like? Well, if you think about that, you have to start you know, thinking about the specific um, diversity and diverse groups within America. And so I think we were able to represent cultures and we featured people like young Chicana lowriders um, in a bike crew for our big gulp spot. We featured a black actor known for his roots in JB roller skating in our Slurpee spot. Even the Asian rockabilly spot was a unique subculture that we really wanted to um, shine a light on because even though these are niche groups and, and different subcultures and different um, ethnic groups, this is what makes up the average customer footprint of 7-Eleven. And it's really telling an American story. So this is where things started to unlock for me. So far, we've heard about the work done mining fan postings on social platforms. And we know that the goal is to attract a younger target, but not at the expense of the base. So here we start to learn how both audiences would be served by one campaign. Ashley suggests that simply reflecting back the energy of existing young fans was the goal, and that it was not nostalgia. But simply reflecting back youthful fan energy could have been risky. It actually could have limited the potential success of the campaign among adults. So I agree with Ashley that it wasn't an intentional nostalgia play. But in a classic example of everything old becoming new again, we see how this time youth culture references and interests of today magically mirror those of their parents. It's sort of a Stranger Things vibe. It, it, uh, it works for both younger people and adults. Not sure if it's serendipity or a strategic genius, but it worked. So here's what I feel is the unlock. Not only did the sort of subcultural um, subcultures that you showcased in the campaign appeal to youth today, but they also strangely had this nostalgic connection to youth of the past, to my youth. Yeah. All of this lowrider activity, these subcultures, they all point back to a time when I was young, and they make 7-Eleven cool again. Mm-hmm. Was that I- deliberate? I would say very much so. I mean, we had so many conversations as a team of the fact that everyone has a memory of 7-Eleven, um, you know, of riding your bikes with your friends to the parking lot. So that when when you see that, when you see that ad with that Chicana girl gang, you are those girls. Yes. Those girls look very modern for today. Um, but but you can easily put yourself in their on their bikes, in their shoes, you can go back and have that moment for yourself. And I think um, that is very much the energy that, that we all talked about and wanted to convey um, to, to revitalize the brand, honestly. That, that's, what, about, that's what the reappraisal is about. It's like you, yep. you're, you're thinking about it in, in, in fresh ways. And it's, it reminds me a lot of what McDonald's and their strategy was where they, where they made a brilliant point, which was that you know, everybody has been to a McDonald's. Whether or not you like it now is irrelevant. The fact is that at one time you really enjoyed it and you had your own, 
you had your own meal that you ordered. Yeah. But that idea was that you can remind people of why they originally loved McDonald's. And I think you guys have plugged into something here too, which is the idea of it's cool for a younger generation, but it's also nostalgically cool for the people who have um, sort of um, lapsed as customers of 7-Eleven. I love that because it's sort of, it reminds us as strategists that we can't forget the past, that we've got to really root around in the history of brands to sort of help inspire us uh, in ways that we may not be, uh, we may be missing completely by not doing that. And I'm wondering, did you do that? Or was, was it just coincidental that a lot of the cultural references that you've, that you've executed on creatively just happened to be the mirror of, um, of cultural references from the prime of the 7-Eleven brand? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great question. In my perspective, I think we focused less on nostalgia specifically and more on the stories of people who shop at 7-Eleven. So I know Amy mentioned earlier, like everyone has been to a 7-Eleven more or less, unless you happen to live in the few geographic areas where they aren't as prolific. And so because everyone has been to a 7-Eleven, they've stopped in the store, we really wanted to look at who these people were and what their interests were, what their hobbies were, what their lifestyle was like. So when we were able to uncover that, when we're thinking about such a niche subculture like roller skating, that actually still happens. It, of course, you know, you think back to maybe 70s, 80s with roller rinks, but People are roller skating today, especially during the pandemic. That's right. Busting out the roller skates became a top hobby because people were bored. I think roller skate sales went up astronomically. So it was more about identifying the subculture, what people were doing and what was true to them in their lives versus reflecting the past. It happens to be true. Like the past of, you know, yesteryear is still present today. It's youth youth culture comes full circle, right? We're, yeah, exactly. We're yeah. seeing those things come back. Um, 90s has been back for a while. Like, Mom um, jeans are back. Mom jeans are back. <laughs> Everything that is old is new again. I think it's just, it is a brilliant coincidence in culture that, that just can be tapped into and make such a strong connection for a brand that does have such nostalgic roots. Um, so for a, you know, for a Gen Xer like me, that is a very special moment, like seeing that girl on bikes, but for a Gen Zer, same, same thing, different generation, same connection. Um, I was going to definitely make that point. <laughs> if you look at TikTok, like yeah. the fashion of Gen Z today, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I wore this in middle school, but for them, <laughs> For them, it's fresh, it's new, and they feel really hip and cool wearing it. Right. That's the brilliance of this entire campaign for me. It's, it's, it's the, uh, and I, and I think you guys have done a brilliant job of weaving together the 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 product experience, the sort of adventure of going through the store, the way you've taken, you've you've sort of put new purpose, not new purpose, but you've put in a new sort of interpretation into eleven. And then right down to these sort of subculture expressions, which which make and the way it was shot, it was just beautifully shot. That really does, um, I, I think, over time, it's just going to begin to sort of, um, uh, you know, reinsert 
7-Eleven into the kind of sort of the cultural zeitgeist. You mentioned earlier, Amy, about the idea of sort of distinctive brand assets. You guys sort of began to um, play with what 7-Eleven means. And I'll read this here. It says, in a world that rarely felt like it would ever feel like a 10 again, we seize the opportunity to act more 11. And uh, that idea that, you know, take the little things in life and turn them up. So you you made 11 mean something more than just a, a generic part of a name. It became a device. Yes, absolutely. And I think when we talk about the brand sort of hiding in plain sight, like the 11 was hiding in plain sight in our brand name. I think what this work does is expresses that so beautifully, but it also gives us all a way to behave now. How can we take it to 11? It's become even a corporate mantra for our clients. Before the idea of 11 came about, we were kind of playing around with some really far out and fantastical thinking, some things that were kind of untethered from reality and it got a little weird. Um, <laughs> and we didn't, want to, <laughs> yeah, we didn't want to really alienate, you know, we have such a diverse audience by straying so far out of the box that it was unrecognizable. We wanted to be bold, not outrageous. So after we came to that conclusion, we were able to say, okay, so if we need to dial it up, but also be grounded in reality, what does that mean? Typically you're gauging everything on a scale of one to 10, but for us, we were like, okay, what if you just went one step further? So for example, 7-Eleven has 3000 ways to style your coffee. That's, that's one of their claims. That's taking it up quite a notch in a, in a very kind of functional RTB way. So we also wanted to unlock those emotional cues to what it, what it would feel like to dial it up a notch in your life and how 7-Eleven can assist you on that journey. Let's talk about the the campaign uh, idea, Amy. What um, tell us about what it is and um, and what and how did creative present it? In this creative idea, you saw that fan energy that we talked about very much coming through, and we wanted to be able to dial our energy up to them in this idea. So the creatives presented this notion of like, when all the stores are closed early, we're open late. While others serve coffee, you know, we have 3000 flavors. While others are convenience stores, we are a photo studio, a runway, a snack emporium. This idea of playground um, and store was a stage was coming through. So Ticket to 11 was born. And for us, it's really more than that tagline, but a brand mantra that allowed the brand to behave with a certain swagger when you think about it. I love that idea of the sort of the stores as a stage for self-expression because it, it, it's always it's always been that way. It's always been the place where people hung. Originally, it was the place where people hung out. Yeah, it was the corner, and and just bringing that back and making it relevant for a new generation. It's just it's so strong, and I think the way you've done it is really brilliant. Tell us, uh, can uh, Ashley, could you describe like your favorite spot? And I'll drop, I'm going to drop the, um, that into the audio clip here. I know, we, I know there isn't a lot of audio to it. There's just sort of a music track, I believe, but uh, tell us a little bit about the creative executions. Yeah. My personal favorite spot was the Chicana girl gang. Spot. Yes. Yes. Brilliant. Um, 
I'm Latina myself. So it felt like such good representation to see that, especially in a national campaign where there were no cultural stereotypes that were negative. It was just a subculture, something that you can identify with. And they were just so intense. I don't know if I can say badass, but (laughs) that's just how it felt. And I love that energy. So for me, definitely the big gulp spot was my favorite. The presses, roll a second, keep the game close to my heart, my precious. Over time, tend to get overzealous when the moment's mine. I'm gonna oversell it. How did the campaign roll out tactically? Were there actually any sort of really unique tactics in the comms plan that you can share with us? This was a brand that hadn't been on TV in over five years. Um, So coming back in a big way with stories like we've been talking about was just really huge. So TV and online video definitely played a huge role as well as social. Um, We actually found through the optimization of our campaign that the videos were performing so well that when we made social more of a video only channel, um, the results were even better. And I think you know, that's just a testament to the storytelling and also the design of, of the spots themselves. You know, there's no dialogue in the spots. They're all very musically driven um, and they're fit for the modern way that we're consuming content. So each of the spots was built around a core product. And then we did create product affinity audiences to be able to make those products the gateway back to the brand, if you want to think about it that way. It's 3 a.m. I need a taquito. What do you want? If you want it, we can get it from the 7-Eleven. It's a big old dryer sheet, big tall boys, doggy treats. You know, our biggest job here was brand reappraisal. Um, that was going to come through through results in uptick in perception and consideration. And while I can't share specific numbers with you, I can tell you that we saw double digit increases in both brand perception and consideration and a particular uptick. So we saw that across the board, all generations. Um, and we saw a particular uptick with our most important cohort, which was which is Gen Z. Um, from a brand traffic perspective, um, I also can't share numbers, Ooh. but it worked. Um, it absolutely worked. We'll, I mean, we'll just, we'll believe you. We'll believe you. Um, <laughs> clients were very happy. You can think about like re- returning to levels 
um, that they that they didn't expect to see. I guess we should have a metric on on this show that actually has client happiness as sort of a scale <laughs> because too many people don't share specific sales. So it's like on a scale of one to ten or one to eleven in this case, uh, how happy was your client? So happy. <laughs> Often on the show there are strategists who lean in on people who love the brand or like the brand or use the brand or buy the brand. And sometimes I have to question that because I think, well, what about the people who don't? And we're not focusing on loyalty here. So we're trying to grow the category. And the answer to that many times is sort of this idea, particularly for brands like uh, like 7-Eleven and for brands like McDonald's, which we referenced earlier, that dormant brand love can be reignited many times. The practical thing is that people already know why they uh, what to go there for. Yes. They already know why they've gone there in the past. They've just forgotten. It's sort of fallen out of the considerations that because it's fallen out in terms of share of voice. It's fallen out in terms of share of culture. And I think this, this is a great campaign that sort of um, reignited that and helps us all sort of reappraise it. Uh, thank you both. It is Amy Dowker, VP Strategy at Dentsu in Chicago, and Ashley Evangelista, Associate Director of Integrated Strategy at Dentsu Creative. You guys are great. Great work. Thank you so much for your time today and for coming on the show. I'm sure this will be a very popular episode. Loved it. Thank you so much, Fergus. Thank you. And we'll see everybody in the next episode.